do encourage you as you're going about your activities in the next couple of days to keep Mike and Cherie in your prayers, uh, along with all of those who have been mentioned tonight and earlier today. Uh, Mike is starting a gospel meeting today uh, down in Mathis, and so he is hanging out, he and Cherie, and I don't know if uh, some others of that family also went, but uh, Mike and Cherie are hanging out with David and Bree and the grandkids and loving life, I am sure, confident uh, right now. And so uh, do keep them in your prayers. That meeting is supposed to go through Tuesday evening, and then they are to be home Wednesday, uh, hopefully in time for Bible study. He said that was the goal, and so we'll see what happens. But uh, do keep Mike and Cherie and their family in your prayers as they're away from us uh, over the next few days doing a wonderful work uh, down there in Mathis. I want to pick up tonight, kind of where we left off last Sunday evening, uh, looking at the light of the world. And if you recall, last Sunday evening, we had... Uh, kind of piggybacked off of what we had studied together last Sunday morning. Remember, it was Jesus who made the statement, I am the light of the world. And of all the I am statements that Jesus made, you are the light of the world is the only one that would be transferred from himself onto his followers. You can be the light of the world. Now, Waylon asked me earlier, he said, Adam, you have any songs that you want to lead tonight? And I said, you know... uh, not really, you know, none especially come to mind. Sometimes that's not the case, but uh, I couldn't have picked a better one than Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. I want to think more about that song here in just a moment, but I want to kind of piggy off where we were last Sunday night and starting with those I am statements, you are the light of the world. And remember, we went to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 where Jesus makes that statement. Uh, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that it might give light to all who are in the house. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we had this slide last Sunday evening. Remember that you, as the light of the world, are a lampstand. You and I are not the true light. John chapter 1 and verse 8. John wasn't the true light. You and I are not the true light, but we promote and we support Christ who is the true light. We are the lampstand. Our responsibility as Christians is to bring and promote Him to the world. That's my job. That's my responsibility. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you promote Him in everything you do, in all that you're about, all that I'm about, we are promoting the name of Christ. Again, we would do well to think about this. This isn't a do better, try harder. This is just a reminder that as Christians, that's my responsibility. That's what I'm about. And if I'm failing to reflect, if I'm failing to promote Christ and the name of Christ, then I'm doing something wrong. Okay, that's what I'm about as a Christian. That's who we are. That's what the Bible tells us. And so last Sunday evening, we looked at this fact that this is what light does. You walk into a room and the first thing you do, if it's dark, you turn on the light. You open the shades. You do something so that light can come in and reveal what's in the room. I don't like to stub my big toe. I don't like to stub any of my toes, actually. I don't like to trip and fall. I need to see what's there. I want to know if any obstacles are in the way. And that's what I am to the, light, uh, to the world as I am reflecting the light of Christ. And so, brethren, we looked at the fact that last Sunday evening, my words 
need to have influence. My words do influence. My words should be words that promote the name of Jesus. My words need to be used in such a way that I'm not cutting down, but I'm building up. My words need to be used to encourage. My words not need to be sharp, but they need to be carefully planned and used. Because that, that tongue in my mouth is a world of deadly fire. It is, can be trouble, and I need to be willing to control it. My words reveal Jesus. They must. My influence and my appearance must uh, bring the name of Jesus higher in the lives of others. The way that I present myself, yes, the dress that I wear, yes, what I do, I must be promoting the name of Christ. I saw pictures again this week. I'm about done with social media. I've about had it this time of year. You've got homecoming. You've got dances. You've got young people wearing next to nothing. Do you think it's a really good idea to, to take off all the clothes, cram them up against one another with, with very little on, turn the lights down so it's darker and not lighter, and let them rub up against each other for a while, and that's promoting Christ? When you think about this, it's not just that, though. It's my appearance. It's, it's the way that I conduct myself. And the last point we made was just my life in general. Everything about me should be to promote Christ. We're going to look at the intended result again in just a moment, but understand that everything that we need to be about, we've got to raise our standards. We've got to think, I don't need to just be uh, different than, than my next door neighbor. I've got to be like Jesus. And that's my goal. That's what we have to be about. That's what we're pushing ourselves to be. Christ has to be my life. And so I don't want to just reflect Jesus in this service. I don't want to just reflect Jesus when I'm around God's people. Out there, when the devil is active and real and, and, and attacking, I need to be different. I need the, the world to see Jesus. Let me give you a few more tonight, and I'll try not to take a lot of your time but I want you to think about it with me. Again, as I'm speaking to you, understand that I need this one, all right? The preacher, we get to study and preach on topics that we need. And so I'm telling you, this is something that Adam needs to hear. So humor me for just a little bit, and let's think about what some more things that light do does. Light can serve as a warning. Light can serve as a warning, and again, I come back to this, let your lower lights be shining. Let your lower lights be burning. I don't know everything about that song. I don't, I don't remember who wrote it. I don't remember when it was written. I don't remember uh, lots of things about that. But I do know the, the key message of that song is uh, pretty simple. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from His lighthouse evermore. His lighthouse. I've never lived by the ocean. We live, we live pretty far from an ocean right here, right? But you've been perhaps to an ocean or perhaps you've been somewhere where there was a lighthouse. You know about lighthouses. You've looked at them and they're neat. They're really cool to think about, but they have an intended purpose. More so before than they do now, but the lighthouse was there and it served a great purpose, right? It was there for warning. Hey, ships, you need to know you're getting close to the shore, you need to know that there's a there's rock here and you're going to hit it if you get too close. This is where the shore is. And that's the purpose of the lighthouse. God is pictured in that song as the lighthouse. 
but let your lower lights be burning. The lower lights they would put right there along the shore. So as you got close, you, you could see from afar off, you could see the bright light of the lighthouse. But as you got closer to the shore, there were smaller lights that would line the shoreline so that the boats knew exactly where is the shore. As Christians, we serve as warning lights. Danger. There's danger back here. You need to stay up here. You need to stay away from the danger. You stay up here with Christ. You need to get in this condition. You need to stay away from the danger of the rocks. Let your lower lights be burning. Some poor struggling seamen, you may rescue, you may save. We're warning lights as we reveal Jesus to the world. You know, Jesus provided a lot of warning. In Matthew chapter 23, the Bible tells us that He's not just talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, he's going to call them a number of things in this context before he goes to the cross. He knows that their minds are made up. He knows that they're about to put him to death in just a day or two. He would be dead on the cross. Jesus knows that. Nobody else really does at this point, but Jesus knows that. But he is not talking directly to them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 1, that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. He is speaking to the multitudes. He's speaking to the people. He's speaking to those who have been following Him. And He's warning them, watch out. Watch out for these Pharisees. Watch out for these rulers. I'm warning you. Obey what they say that is in the law, but do not act like they're acting. Do not do what they're doing. And I have there chapter 23, verses 16 through 19, verse 24 and verse 26 you know what Jesus calls those uh, Pharisees and scribes in each of those verses? Blind. Blind. Listen, they're not interested in light. They're not interested in following the light. They're not interested in helping you, really, if He says to the people. They're uh, more interested in themselves and receiving their own reward. Uh, they're more interested in your praise than they are your soul. And so you don't need to be following them. They are blind. I don't want to be blind. I want to be light. I want to be a warning to those who are going in error. I want to warn them. This morning in our Bible class in the auditorium, we were looking at Matthew 24. And I have starred verse number 25. And you recall at the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus is answering the question about the destruction of Jerusalem. And He says there are various signs, warnings that you need to be aware of. That when you see these things coming, you see these things happening, He's told them already, you need to flee. You need to get out of the mountain. Uh, Get out to the mountains. Get out of the city. It's going to be destroyed. But in verse 25 He says, I have told you this before it happens. He has provided warning." That's what I am as a Christian. That's my responsibility. I love when, uh, when Brother Brian leads prayers. And I always appreciate the, uh, the way that he puts things. And I appreciate it tonight as I was listening and thinking about what he was saying and praying along that I want to look at souls the way that, that God looks at souls. I think that's such an important thing for me to think about. Because I have a tendency to look at people's eyes and then move on 
a tendency to look at them and just keep on going and not really think about it. I want to look at souls the way that God does. I want to think about Jesus and the fact that that he was, he was always anticipating, always thinking, always teaching, always providing a warning. And yes, He was even warning people of hell, warning them of what was coming. How about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Turn over to Mark chapter 9 and look at the warning that Jesus provides. Listen, that place, that place called hell, that's where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. He repeats that phrase a few different times. Listen, I'm telling you, you don't want to go there. Warning. I want to be like Jesus and provide warning. I want to be like the prophets. You read those verses lately. Maybe you have. Over in Ezekiel chapter 33. This isn't the first time in the book of Ezekiel that we find these, these kinds of words. But I'm reminded about what God said to the prophet. I'm reminded of the responsibility that God put on the shoulders of the prophet. In Ezekiel chapter 33, he has told the prophet, you must go and tell my people. You must go and warn them of what is coming. And so he says in verse number 7, So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you shall say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his wicked from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God says, I don't want Israel to die. I don't want the wicked to perish. I want everybody to be saved. I don't want my people to be taken captive. So you, Ezekiel, you go. You go and warn them. You go and tell them. I have a message for you. Your your responsibility is to go and tell them. If you tell them and they don't listen to you, that's not on you. But if you don't go, that is on you. That is on you. As light provides warning... So we, as the light of the world, must be providing warning to those who are lost in this world. But as light to this world, we also have a responsibility to our brethren. We have a responsibility to be a warning to them. James 5, verses 19 and 20. James says, Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that you've, you've turned an er- a sinner from the error of his way. You, you've delivered one, he says. Warning. I want to be that kind of light. I want to be a light that warns. 
Not a light that that is uh, condescending. Not a light that is arrogant. Not a light that says, how dare you? Or I can't believe you'd believe that. Or a light that, that speaks down to people. No, but a light that loves enough to provide warning. That's what we need to be about. That's what Jesus was doing. Light not only warns, it warms. I love a good fire on a cold day. I like to go be out in a, a bonfire when it's cold, not when it's hot. <laughs> I like to be out there around a fire pit on a nice, cool evening. It just feels good. There's just something about that, right? About that light that can just warm you up. Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 7, Truly the light is sweet and it's pleasant to the eyes to behold the sun. You ever had a long night? I've had long nights. As parents, we've probably had long nights with little ones. And you just can't wait for the day. <laughs> when is that sun going to come up? Or maybe you've had a long night of sickness. Or maybe you've had a long night where you just have something weighing on your mind. The health of yourself or the health of a loved one. Or you've got a situation in your life going on. Something at work or something going on around you. And you just don't sleep well. It's just a long night. And you just can't wait. You're just begging for the sun Please come up, please. Let's get this night over with. Let's get day started. And then the sun rises and you see the light. You're like, oh, yes. A new day. The light of a new day. As the light of the world, I think this is our responsibility. We're to provide comfort. Last night I got a phone call from my brother. My brother preaches in a really small town in Missouri. And a wonderful congregation with, with great elders and a lot of young families and a lot of kids, but it's literally the middle of nowhere. I think Midland is close, but that, where he is, it's, it's just a crossroads. There are some maps that don't even have the name of his little town on them. It's a special place, a really tight-knit community. It's one of those small-town America where it's just a, a fabulous place to be. And he and his family are so happy there. And his children attend a a school that has, uh, I think, kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade. And they're just a couple hundred kids uh, in that school. And they're all close. The parents all know each other. The community is one of those. They just, everybody's, a lot of them are related. And and they're just a a tight-knit, very close community. And he called me last night. He said, Adam, we are just, we're just hurting so badly right now. School's been going now for, what, a month or so? And the first day of school, they had a young superintendent, and he and his son were killed in a, in a car accident on the way to school. Devastated the town. And yesterday, there was a 16-year-old girl who was killed in a car accident. And he said, Adam, we're just hurting so badly. These are not, uh, these are not families that are connected to the church. Roundabout ways, I suppose they are, but... These aren't Christians. These aren't members of the congregation necessarily that are directly involved. But he said, our, our community, our little town, he said, we're just hurting so badly. Light warms. Light comforts. I reminded him of something that he already knows. He's my older brother, but I've been preaching longer. Not a lot longer, but some. And I, I reminded him of something that he already knows. I said, Corey, they're not going to remember your words. They're just not going to remember what you say. 
In that situation, we're all searching for the right thing to say. What do I say? How do I comfort somebody who's hurting so deeply in this moment? And the answer is, there usually are not any words. But they'll remember you were there. They'll remember you were there. You know, funerals are not my favorite thing either. I've been to so many, but they're not my favorite thing to do. They're not my favorite place to go. But I want to give you something just to think about with me. Do you know that even when members of this congregation pass, older members that that we love so much and, and they pass away, they have family members, I have family members, and you probably will at your funeral, have family members who are not Christians. Do you know that your presence can go a long way? Just your presence. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything except sit there and be seen. Sit there and let somebody know that you care. Our sister sister Patty Anderson passed away. She has two children that are neither one members of the church. And and do you know the influence that, that, that was had just by members of this congregation being there, sitting there, helping that family through it? You see, those are opportunities to influence. You don't have to say a word. You just have to be there to provide comfort. That's what we are supposed to do. That's who we are as the people of God. Jesus was in opportunity after opportunity. He was in situation after situation to provide comfort. When I think comfort, perhaps you do too. You think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You think about the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercy. And you think about the words of Paul. But don't miss it in 1 Thessalonians when Paul uses this opportunity through five chapters to emphasize comfort. Again, this is who we are as the people of God, as the light of the world. We're there to provide comfort for people that are hurting. And they are so often hurting. I have a responsibility to them. I like the way that Paul puts it as he reminds the Thessalonians. He's not with them now. He's writing back to them. He just left them. And now he's away from them and he he responds and he he writes back to them. And he says some very interesting things like verse number 7 of chapter 2. He says, We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. When you get that picture in your mind, a nursing mother cherishing her children, isn't that a picture of comfort? She's holding that little one, and you know, she's not rough with that little one, right? She's, she's holding that little one in just the right way to keep them comfortable, to make sure that they're, they're not hurting. She wants to hold and position them just right so that she can nurse them. That is a picture of comfort. And Paul says, when we were with you, that's how we treated you. But not just like a nursing mother. You continue on, verse number 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. You see the relationship? For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Catch it, verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children. 
that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. You see, this is what we did. We, we, even as a father does his own children, comforted you, charged you, loved you. And that's what we need to be for the world. A comfort to the world. I just love the way that Paul continues to talk and the things that he continues to say throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. And you get down to chapter 5 and you look at those verses that that uh, Brother Jim read for us just a moment ago. And, and you notice in that context, if you back up to verse number 4, he talks about darkness and light. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The day of the Lord, the day that Jesus comes back, it doesn't need to overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, and you're sons of the day. We are not of the, the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober." For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 11 says, what you need to do is comfort each other. Edify one another, just as you also are doing. In verse number 14, you need to warn, that's what we talked about, you need to warn those who are unruly, but you need to comfort the faint-hearted. Sometimes, some of us in our personalities, we can be really strong in one of those areas or the other. Really quick to provide warning. Really quick, you know, to tell people when they're wrong. Really quick to point out error in the lives of others and too slow to comfort, too slow to put your arm around, too slow to come up beside them and comfort them and help them through difficult days. And for some of us, it's the opposite. Some of us are are very good at comforting. Some of us, uh, some of you have a strong suit in this area. You're just very good at writing cards. You're very good at attending. You're very good at being there, making visits and going to comfort those who are down. Sometimes, too slow to warn. Too slow because, because of your personality. I'm talking to myself here, right? You're too slow because you don't want to turn people against you. You don't want to make it uncomfortable. You don't want to get into that situation where people are going to be like, ooh, you know, it's just not fun to be in that kind of situation. There's a balance there that we need to strike. And I'm just saying that as the light of the world, this is the balance that Jesus had. Quick to warn and quick to comfort. And as His people, we need to be those who provide warmth. In the end, here's the last one. You know what light does? Light dispels the darkness. What a day it must have been when God turned a light on. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that darkness was all over the face of the deep. That there was just darkness everywhere. All over the face of the earth, it was just nothing but darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And the light came on. The darkness vanished when the light came on. When the light goes off, you have darkness. As the light of the world, I want to dispel, disperse, get rid of the darkness. Brethren, I want to think about this as I go about my day-to-day activities. 
As I wake up and every day get one day closer to heaven, I want to think about my big responsibility is really, first and foremost, to be the light of the world. I want to think first and foremost about Jesus, and I want to think first and foremost about how I can promote Him and His name. What can I do to help others see Jesus? My words, my appearance, my life, my warnings, my warming, should all be about dispelling darkness. Should all be about helping others to see Jesus. On Wednesday night, I had this verse up, believe it or not, but Mike really helped me, as he so often does. In Acts chapter 26, I want to conclude here tonight with this thought. Jesus speaks to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And he tells him, this is what I need you to do. This is the responsibility that I'm I'm giving to you. This is what you're going to do. In, In Acts chapter 26, in verse number 17, he says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, Paul says to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, they should turn to God, and they should do works befitting repentance. I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. That light shone around me. The darkness went away. Yes, I was left blinded, Paul would say, but his eyesight was restored. The scales came off. He was baptized into Christ. He became a Christian, and immediately he started telling people about Jesus. He started dispelling darkness, turning people from darkness to light. Matthew chapter 5 is all about influence. It's about our character. It's about who we are as followers of Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, good works that reveal Jesus to the world, good works that warn people from the danger that's coming if they're not right with God. Good works that warm and comfort and help those who are downtrodden in life. Good works that go about dispelling the darkness of sin. Let me see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't want people to see my good works for attaboys or pats on the back. I'm not saying it's wrong to be complimentary. I'm not saying it's wrong to offer an encouraging word. It's so great and necessary. But I never want to get to a point where I would say what I say or do what I do for the praise of men. That's a dangerous road. I care not to travel that road because Jesus said that's not a road that's ultimately going to lead to life. 
We do what we do because we want to magnify the name of Christ. And so, brethren, the encouragement for you and the encouragement for me is to wake up every day and decide that day that I'm going to use this body that God has given me. I'm going to use this body to bring Him glory. I'm going to use this body to be the light of the world. I'm not trying to let people look at me. I'm trying to help them see Jesus. I'm just a lampstand. I am not the light. I'm just trying to reflect it. I'm just trying to be that to the world. I want to wake up every day and say, God, help me to bring you glory today. Help me. Through my words, my appearance, my life, my words of warning and my ways of comfort. Help me as I go about trying to push and stamp down the darkness of Satan and the darkness of sin. Help me in every way to bring you glory, to magnify the name of Jesus. And no matter what happens that day, it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one if in every situation we really think about bringing glory to Jesus, bringing glory to God. Are you a Christian tonight? You need to be in the light, my friend, if you want to be saved. It's in the light. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 that our sins are cleansed continually by the blood of Christ. It's as we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We need to be in the light, and there's only one way to get into the light, and that is to obey what God says. That is to be saved on His conditions and not mine or yours. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, to be willing to confess that before others, to repent of sin in our lives, to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. It is then and only then that the Lord adds you to His church where the saved are found, Acts 2 and verse 47. Tonight, if you're not in the light, you have an opportunity to be saved. You can begin that relationship tonight as a lampstand, as a part of the church. But tonight, if you are a Christian and, and you see that, that your light hasn't been shining so bright, maybe your light has in some ways gone out. And that needs to be restored. And tonight, you're ready to repent of such. And you're ready, you're so eager tonight just to put all that behind you, to ask God's forgiveness, to be forgiven, and to go. And tonight, if you need to respond in a public way, then do. But tonight, maybe there's a situation in your life and you say, I just need my brethren to know and I need them to be praying about it. Let us know. And if there's some way we can help you, come now.